dear God, help me! Your stupid religion. Your God is dead. Your soul is dead. Sure sounds a lot like someone who just stumbled upon a bad HP Lovecraft adaptation. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be talking about 2008's Color from the Dark, written by Ivo Gazzarini and directed by Ivan Zukan. Um, and funnily enough, when I decided to do this, uh, these two movies for this month, I was like, we're going to do some foreign stuff. Yeah. And I knew this was an Italian production. I didn't realize how global right. <laughs> the cast was for a film that supposedly take place in Italy in 1943. Yeah. Um, like, like I, I no, it's funny. I went into it as blindly as possible when you suggested it. And I'm like, okay, where is it available? It's on Tubi. Yep. Okay, that's all I'm going to go into it. And the moment I saw one of my favorite B actresses, Debbie Rashawn, I'm like, okay, this is this is an Italian film, but it's Debbie Rashawn, who's an American actress, like that I grew up watching in trauma films. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> is she speaking Italian? And the moment the film started, I'm like, oh, this, these people are from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Which was cool, um, actually. You know, I actually kind of enjoyed that surprise. It's, you know, it's it's weird because yes. Ivan Zukan is an Italian. Um, yes, Michael Segal, who is the the lead role as Pietro, he is yeah. also Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet you have, as you mentioned, Debbie Rashan, who is actually Canadian. Yeah, oh, you're um, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Mary C. K., who plays Alice, is Scottish. Mm-hmm. Um, Emmett J. Scanlon, who plays this stereotypically named Luigi, is. Um, <laughs> Uh, is I- is Irish. Yeah, I, I noticed the accent. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Eleanor James, who plays Anna, is English. Yep. Um, and then, um, let me see. Jerry Shanahan, uh, who plays Giovanni, um, yes. I believe is American. Okay. So okay. <laughs> we, we, have, we have a film, again, taking place in fascist Italy in 1943, starring one Italian person. Um, but yeah, was surprised when this movie started and like, oh, the, oh, they're they're talking in English, okay. And and at first I was like, is it a bad dubbing? Like, no, it is it is oh, them yeah. speaking in English. Um, yeah. I, I will say the there are some weird parts. I think there's there's a little bit of a language barrier in the sense of how things translate. Some lines mm-hmm. stuck out to me as weird, like when you know when um when uh, Lucia is uh is kind of in the thralls of being possessed and she says let's do it um i don't know yeah. if that's really a, a phrase that was uttered a lot in rural italy in the 1940s and then Anna at one point says like what's up with them like that's, yes. that's not, <laughs> that's not I too. i'm like is this like um like a, a like a william shakespeare's you know romeo and juliet but like Baz <laughs> lerman's you know like hipsterized version but yeah the lost in translation parts like but you know what i I, I didn't hold it against it. I was like, okay, that's that's cool. Like, you know, like and something like when she's all really possessed, um, and she's screaming like, it's in my like, what's in my brain? What's wrong with my brain? And <clears> for some reason, like, I don't know. I don't I don't see people saying that like like in that time period. Like, and you know what? I give them credit for like swinging for defenses for this. Like to not only make a color out of space you know adaptation but actually doing an a period piece on top of that yeah it's it's very very ambitious and does it work not not fully especially there was stuff in this that i think with a higher budget might have worked better or like a fleshing out of certain things like 
the whole thing with um to kind of go into a weird sidebar was uh the woman Teresa, the the Jewish woman that was hiding in yeah. the one house. And it's weird because it's like, okay, we, it's like it's almost put in to remind you that this is like during World War Two and she's running away in the middle of the night. And I at first you're like and then you see um Lucia also running like towards her. And she mm-hmm. and, and this is like right when the thralls of the, the possession of some sort is in her and she's burying a cross in the middle of the field. And then I'm thinking like, you know, oh, okay, so she's going to kill Teresa and it'll be blamed like, oh, it's the Nazis. No, ultimately, from what we gather, no, Teresa was getting chased by Nazis. You know what I mean? Like, it was weird. Like, you don't, you never see the Nazis except for in that one dream sequence. But like, She's like you bastards, and she gets shot right in the head, and she's dead. Yeah, and and let's we'll we'll table that. I want to. I certainly yeah. want to get back to that. Um, yeah. But this was yeah. I I must admit I I had very low expectations for this movie. Um, yeah. <clears throat> if you go on IMDb, it's got a four point eight out of ten star rating, which you know take that with a grain mm-hmm. of salt. Um, which is actually a lower star rating than The Curse, a film that we've covered on this podcast before, which I think is pretty bad. Yeah, um, it's a it's a pretty for the most part standard, straightforward um, adaptation of the color out of space. At least in the sense of it hits all those general broad strokes. Right. There is a family that you know lives on kind of a rural property. There is some type of at least from here it doesn't come from space. It seems like it, it gets stirred up from underground. Yeah. Um, that at least at first seems to be a positive effect on their livelihood on their lives until the land starts dying something starts happening to our mother figure and basically things just kind of um devolve into all-out uh chaos and death the broad strokes are there um and uh but there are there are some um interesting if not entirely successful um additions to it um important to note this was actually uh, the winner of the uh, Brown Jenkin Award for Best Feature at the 2009 HP Lovecraft Film Festival, run by okay. uh, friends of the show Brian and Gwen. Awesome. And yeah, I gotta say, um, not bad. I, I, I yeah, I, I actually mostly liked it. As you said, the it does suffer from budget a little bit. It, as weird as it sounds, I think the sound design could have been better. Yes, um, agreed. There's a there's a couple moments where crucifixes fall off the wall and clatter on the ground, but it's clear that like, they're just these cheap plastic things. Cause there's not like a really dramatic event. Like if it was stone or wood or something, you have right. that really like a, like a emphatic thud of this religious symbol falling. It'd be, it'd be, uh, it'd be quite significant, but here's just, it's this like weak kind of Tink. plastic clatter, which like, eh, this sounds really cheap. <laughs> yeah. Like, like yeah, it steel or lead. Yeah. But it was like tink and you're like, Oh, that wasn't really as dramatic as they probably hoped, and <laughs> yeah. no, and 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 a lot of the um, I'll I'll just repeat what uh when Corinne had had walked in while I was watching it the second time, and she kind of looked and went, "What year was this movie made?" And I said, mm-hmm. "Oh, like 2007, 2008." She's like, "It looks it," and I like, yeah. Yeah. and she and you know what, and and that's a great like you know, like she just looked at it real quick and like especially so, like she didn't see some of like that. That intro, like CG opening of coming out of the uh, the well. Yeah, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I, when that happened, I thought, oh, I'm in for a rough ride. Like I'm, yeah, I'm, I I'm so too, yeah. And then, and then it, then it stopped. And then every so often, you'd have 
some subpar, you know, like digital blood and like when Lucia is like freaking out and she's slicing her face mm-hmm. and like it looked all right. And then like the eyeball look, but like it was, it just, it looked too, it looked too digital. Cause that's what it was. And then like, to me, you know, I understand limitations. This movie supposedly only cost a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred, yeah. you know, whatever the Lira, you know, equivalent. So, you know, I have to say, like, for the budgetary, you know, standards, it, 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 hell, it looks better than a lot of films we've covered on this podcast. Yeah. There's some films uh, we've covered that um, probably cost more <laughs> and, like, looked worse. So, I, you know, I give Ivan and company, like, credit, like, you know, yeah, the limitations were there. But I have to say, you know, while, like, you, you were jokingly saying about the, the dialogue, I have to say the acting... Not not bad across the board. Like actually, much better. Even though some of it a little stilted, but because it has that weird feel of an Italian film that, and it you know Italian people wrote it, and the translation's not always there. Like you know, hell, look at like one of my favorite films of all time is Troll Two, where they didn't even know what the hell they had to say. Like they were reading, going, "This this is not what an American person would say." Right. So okay. this is almost you know what I mean. This is almost like an Italian writing what an Italian person would say. But in English, so it's a little, little off kilter. But it, but it works overall. Like you know, I think everyone does a, a fine job of depicting their characters and the strife that they're you know living throughout. You know. Yeah, and and I mean, this was produced and, and released in a time when, uh, when there was really um, a whole lot of like steam, um, you know, or, or or a whole lot of momentum kind of building up, but, but you know, behind digital filmmaking technology and how it democratized things. Yeah, and a lot of those early digital cameras that were used for, um, you know, feature filmmaking were good. Like, you know, they, they worked well in low light. Um, but of course, you know, they could pick up things, but there was the, the contrast was a little bit strange. So like there, there are some, there, there's a lot of scenes where it looks like they're kind of lit by a single light source. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times that doesn't work and it kind of looks, it, it looks low budget. And then you kind of have some shots when like, there's a lot of shadows and evocative because there's clearly just a light outside of window, which is like, projecting in and you just see someone in shadow or even like there's a beautiful shot of like the sun rising like in the morning it's like there's actually really evocative imagery in this movie it's just because of the limitations of the technology sometimes that is also um you know the sensors that the cameras were equipped with that allowed them to kind of get this wide range of color i mean there's a scene when after the you know after the kind of the color is affecting everything and lucia Mm -hmm. is out picking tomatoes in the garden and it's really kind of vibrant and Mm -hmm. bright um the sky is blue the tomatoes are red um the you know the field is green um and it looks beautiful and then of course you know how that is supposed to contrast as things go along you can see that he kind of starts draining the color out of it until at the end it's almost black and white or or like fully desaturated um well, yeah, and, and no, and, and there's elements of the film that does it too. Like, hell, even Alice's um, doll goes from being mm-hmm. like vibrantly red and whatnot to like gray by the end. Like, the, mm-hmm. the color has been sucked out, and that's the whole thing. Like, it drains, it sucks the life out of you. Yeah. And that's kind of like, which, you know. Which, which Pietro very oh, yes. makes text as his final line. <laughs> final line. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Oh, by the way, that's the tagline of the film it sucks the life out of you. <laughs> Thank, you just, thanks, Pietro, on your deathbed. Thank you for that. Just imagine watching this movie for 90 minutes and then the final two, it's like, oh, that's what was happening. Okay, I get that. <laughs> but, um, 
So no, so l- let me ask you this. Okay, so mm-hmm. while watching it, and you know, I think it's I think it's telling that we're covering this on Easter Sunday, <laughs> and about the whole uh, as opposed to a otherworldly, you know, space out of space per se. Um, instead, it's it almost feels like going a little more to slant of you know, I mean, it is going to slant of religion and what's real and what's not. What do you believe in? Is there is there a god? What god do you? entrust your life with but also like do you think this is like more them doing a i guess you could say a satanic kind of slant on this of the lovecraft story because while it's you know it's 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 faithful to to a lot of it i feel like it does go into that you know exorcist or as you said like evil dead type of feel of like demonic possession instead of uh just this this color that is actually just you know kind of just making everything mutated in a, in a sense you know what i mean yeah and that's and that is actually what i think the film's biggest flaw is mm-hmm. is the angle that he took of of making it there there's nothing it's not exactly explicitly demonic but there certainly is that element especially with like you know, the, the crucifix is melting and the priest, yes. you know, being uh, killed and, you know, like the devil lives here sort of a thing. Yes. Um, I, and I, I think that that is actually in some of Lovecraft's stories and in some of the adaptations that we've covered, that tends to be a weakness of these stories when it makes it kind of a, it, there's a, there's a morality to it. Um, specifically like a good versus evil dynamic because right. the, as weird as this sounds, and um, we talked a little bit about it with the Apostle episode, mm-hmm. um, the existence of an evil presence also seems to imply, by contrast, the existence of a good presence. Right, and right, right. In a Lovecraft story, having something that came from outside of our physical existence, whether it be metaphysical or the actual planet, seems to highlight that idea of things which are beyond our comprehension, our awareness, and also uh, beyond our control or, or our concept of reality. Um, right. Yeah. And, and so like the first, I, I think I, I, I texted you this, like, I think it's <laughs> the first 45 minutes. I was really on board with this movie because yeah, it was, yeah. adding, it was funny. Cause at first I was like, wow, this guy clearly was a fan of like Pan's Labyrinth until he realized this movie oh. came out before Pan's Labyrinth did. Yeah, yes. I, um, I, you know, I'm glad you said that. Cause I, I, I felt that feel of fas- a fascist country during a war and like, yes, I was like, Oh, this is going a cool route. Yeah. Pan's Labyrinth yeah. is perfect. Yeah. But it, it sets it up where uh, there is going to be the groundwork of a system of belief that they mm-hmm. have. And this one specifically, it is um, religion, Christianity, probably tied into their sense of morality of the world and the government and how that is going to be contrasted with um, evil. Um, there is no God. Fascism destroying what you yes. um come to believe about goodness of people. Um, and so you you have that, yeah, because Teresa, who is um, clearly a Jewish woman who is trying to hide from the fascists and does not succeed, unfortunately. And so you, you do get the sense of like, there is going to be, this is an interesting element that um, he has added of a physical human structure or physical human system um, destabilizing your belief in 
something uh, or, or your, your concept of reality and existence. Yeah. Um, first half of the movie, I was on board with that. Then Lucia gets possessed and things kind of start deteriorating for her. And so uh, Pietro locks her in the attic. And then I think it really just kind of stagnates and there is not really a whole lot of forward momentum. What I would have liked to have seen is not so much a confirmation of this is an evil force so much as here is a group of people that believed in something mm-hmm. and not so much because um, c- there's I'm rambling here a little bit, but there's this idea of contrary themes and contrasting themes. And when it comes to religious belief, contrary to that belief is an evil presence. God, Satan, those two forces are contrary to each other. Right. But what is contrasting, what is the exact opposite of a belief in God is nothing being there at all, which is where cosmicism and Lovecraft comes into play for me. Um, But to kind of have this, yeah, kind of demon, once again, they don't really name it, but it it seems pretty clear that it's like a a demonic force, especially how antagonistic it is towards religious symbols. Yes. Um, that, that seems that that is not contrasting that is contrary so it's kind of like well this is evil and this is bad but what would really be what would really instill despair in me which I think what makes this story so great is just the sense of despair it is of like well we are pawns in a cosmic game where this thing came down and like we had no control over it and are just it just so happened that and now our lives are destroyed um what yeah. the, the lack of the lack of despair here what, or, or there would have been a, a sense of despair here if it's sort of like you had this tight knit religious group that is calling out to God and it's like, no, there's there's just nothing there. Right. And you yeah. have this evil force who's kind of like explicitly saying that. But let me feel that. Let me feel their despair of like, you know, I'm praying and there's just silence or the crucifix fell and then somehow it got lost. So like we just, now we just have bare space instead of explicitly, there is no God show us metaphorically or visually large gaps in space. There is no God. Like just there, there's right. There's, there's certainly a sense of evil in this film, but there's not really a sense of despair. I think. Yeah. It's it's show. Don't tell. You don't have to tell me Mm -hmm. it's evil. Like, like it, you know what, what the bad stuff happening to good people is, to me, that's awful enough, and yeah. that's why the best Lovecraft adaptations. That's what you zero in on. You don't zero in on the monster. You zero on the despair, the the mm-hmm. sadness, the you know the hopelessness is what works. And yeah. mm-hmm. and this film like had that, and it feels like the 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 screenplay almost went the easy route of just like you know what, let's just make it good and evil that's what people understand and yeah and sadly you know what you know especially a directive video film from that era it makes sense because how are you going to sell it okay well at that time lovecraft adaptations weren't the hot thing either so mm-hmm. so it's like kind of like this weird catch-22 of like well what do you do then but yeah if if it went the the, the you know the path of like there is no God, but there is no evil either. It's just this bad shit that's going down and there's nothing you can do. Like no matter how much they pray, this awfulness is going to happen to them or whoever was in that spot as is. It, it, it didn't pick them out because they're good people. It's just 
picked them because it they were there. Yeah, and this is it's so minor, but almost like the fact that they kind of accidentally conjure it, call it up, whatever they're kind of doing. Yeah, adds a little bit of it does add a tiny bit of element of like, oh, this could have been avoided. Whereas in the original story, like, no, this, this couldn't have been like, that, it was always going to happen. That's a good point too. Yeah. Like, like, cause of the bucket got stuck. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, oh, it, it leashed whatever was in there. And, um, and like I said, th- this film works like well when it's like, it doesn't go that path. Like, you know, some of the, you know, the dream sequences and you know, you're not sure what's real and what's not. And the whole thing with, this this whatever entity or whatever you want to call it you know the color is you know it heals pietro's deformed knee mm-hmm. it, it it lets alice speak again for the mm-hmm. first time so it's doing these great things and then the rot starts to happen and like that's fine that that actually works because of course they're gonna embrace this in a weird way like almost not even like it's almost like sacrilegious because you know they're thinking it's god doing this for them but it's it's not Mm -hmm. and that works but like again like you said it it you know they could have went that way but instead they just kind of went the the easy tried and true you know it's a demon and you know because like especially with the whole antagonizing the uh the priest and um Mm -hmm. and then ultimately like you know tempting him with the flesh and then you know, she's like almost orgasming from the the holy water, splashing <laughs> on her. Very sexualized, of course. Mm-hmm, um, sure. You know, and then like ultimately gets stabbed in the eye by the crucifix. So it's like, okay, we're just going that that path now. Fine, okay. Well, and I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you slightly in the sense of I I think the dream sequences don't work and they just kind of confuse the momentum of the story. Like it's it's weird because. What this film does a couple times is show something terrible that's going to happen. Right. Step back for you to recognize, oh, that person is just was dreaming that. Only to then have something terrible happen. So it's like, just make the one terrible thing happening. I'm I'm thinking specifically of the priest who seems to have a vision of like, oh, yeah. um, When he goes up into the, the attic, Lucia grabs him, is sprinkling him with like holy water and like cursing him. And he's his skin is melting and he is burning. And all of a sudden he wakes up and he's covered in holy water. Right. He's standing there. None of it happened only for a couple minutes later for him to get stabbed in the eye and die. Like you, you didn't have to have that, like just have the terrible thing happen to him. Don't tease a terrible thing happening and then make another terrible thing happen. And it like, maybe he was intending for it to be like, what is real and what's not, except I don't think that having yeah. the question of what is real and what's not adds anything. In fact, I think it's sometimes at least early on confused me as to who was doing what, mm-hmm. because you do have Lucia and Teresa in that early sequence running through the cornfield. Right. Um, but then in the middle of it, cutting back to Lucia in bed. So I'm like, wait, so is this something that happened before or is happening later or is happening at the same time? Right. And and, was- and, yeah. And she has the muddy legs. You're like, Oh, it actually happened. And then Teresa gets shot in the head. Except then nothing comes of the money, right. money legs thing. Like you kind of think like, oh, right. Pietro's going to see the sheets the next morning and like question something. But it's just it's that it just is. Same thing with the um, blood, the bloody nose, like from the dream. And she mm. just and she just flips the pillow. <laughs> I, I, th- I, I think if, if, if you know, 
you you were bleeding on your pillow and you flipped it over. I think your wife would be like, uh, honey, uh, <laughs> something wrong? Listen, our, nope, you flipped it. Sorry. Our pillowcases are like a dark blue. And if I bled all over <laughs> them and flipped them over, it'd still be pretty noticeable. Not to say that nothing right. about white pillowcases. Um, <laughs> and, and even early on, too, like the opening scene is Aliche having a dream that she is covered in blood. And then... Right. And then... Pietro yeah. and Lucia come in and say, like, nope, she was just having a dream. So you're like, oh, this is going to be a thing for later. And never happened. Yeah. Not. No, not that, really? no, and you're right. You know, going like, thinking about it again. Yeah, it is kind of confusing because like at first, like it's her having a nightmare, and they don't want to wake her up during it because that'll freak her out more because she, you know, from what we gather, she's a she has a lot of fear. And mm. like, you know, she's afraid to go down the stairs without the doll and help. And Certain things. So, the dream, like when it's a, you know, oh she she's like freaking out, but we, oh it's nothing. It's actually not happening. But then every dream after that, it's actually stuff that does happen. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. That is kind of that is kind of confusing. Uh, yeah, Cause, yeah, because it seems to it seems to set up uh, a system where you're going or you're supposed to doubt everything that happens like is this really happening to them except the film is also very explicit that it is really happening to them right it's not, it's not like in the mouth of madness when it's like a dream within a dream within a dream and it really freaks you out because you're like what the hell is happening like yeah. he like wakes up and the cop is next to him and you're like holy shit and then he wakes up again he's and even he like the audience is like what the hell <laughs> and, uh, maybe, because you know maybe that's what they were trying to go for but it, it yeah it doesn't really work for, especially because for adaptation too yeah, because yeah. you you do have Giovanni and, and Anna who are who could be set up in such a way where where he's like, you know, Pietro says the trees are glowing at night, and like we see that, but we see that when no one else is around. So maybe right. if you have a sequence where Giovanni like comes by at night and like, no, the trees aren't glowing, right? Um, but there is no doubt that this is all really happening to them because we we only see it through their perspective that this is really happening to them, yeah. and that was one of the elements I loved about the original story was like you were, the story was being told to a guy who witnessed it happening to these people, which further adds a level of separation between us experiencing it and the people that's experiencing it too. And, and further adds once again, that idea of, of despair. We're like, well, this narrator witnessed all, all this happening. He saw that there wasn't anything they could do. He couldn't do anything about it. Right. Everyone was just fucked. Um, and, and, and so by not having that objective third party kind of perspective, I think does lose something a little bit here. That was funny. I, as I was watching this movie and what, and seeing the, um, that fascist dream sequence where the woman gets, you know, shot in the head by the Nazi. Right. I was, right. Also, I was also remembering that Juan Vu's largely takes place in world war two as well. So I'm like, Oh, this isn't even the first adaptation. Yeah, you're right. Involved. That That is very, that's a strange, mm -hmm. you know, combination of like, yeah. I wonder what, I'm guessing it's it's just a cool backdrop. And again, this film could have done some really, really interesting things with that backdrop, but it almost feels like it's there. It's remind you you're reminded at at a couple of points of like, you know, this is fascist Italy, and even the Italians are like, oh, the Germans, you know, flying around above us. Mm -hmm. Wish they would go away. And even like the thing about the Jews and talking about, oh, most of them there's no more Jews in the town. Most of them left or blah, blah, blah. And then Pietro's like, or were murdered. Yeah. And like, it's there, but they don't, you could have gone deeper with that. Like of like the combination of like, you know, 
what's really what what's the true evil? Is it the stuff that's happening to these to these to these farmers, or what's happening to the world at large at the moment? And maybe that's why this evil is around because of of that. You know what I mean? Like again, what what's a big thing in like the Hellboy comics? The Nazis wanted to bring upon you know the end of the world by the old ones coming back. You know what I mean? It's a it is a yeah. common thing in that in that kind of lore of not Nazis trying to bring tentacle beasts. I don't know why that is. Is that is that something that that wasn't Lovecraft, but that's like people writers after him that like let's combine both evils together, you know? Well, it it, it makes sense to to set a story against that backdrop because once again as we've kind of talked about with the apostle this idea of if there is something that's going to destabilize your perception of reality and morality, it's going to be a war in which yeah. tens of millions of people have been eradicated for something that is beyond their control, for how they were born, for what they believe in, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Right. Um, and, you know, so it would it would make sense, like, you know, uh, every every few years there's an event like this that happens. There's World War II, there's 9-11. I'm sure that for right. some people, January 6th, uh, January 6th is going to be one of those things of, like, I believed in... A democracy until all of a sudden this happened so right. I, I get i get that as a backdrop it's just after like the midway point of this movie and lucia gets locked in the attic yeah they kind of lose that thread like the fascism yeah. just becomes an afterthought and it said becomes this possessed woman and everyone who kind of witnesses what is happening to this possessed woman um i i i'm curious as to get to get your thoughts on how you felt about Alice and specifically her use of Rosina, her little doll, because it, it mostly for me kind of just struck as like, oh, of course you have to have a creepy doll in a horror movie. But do you feel like it was used to good effect or not? Um, I mean, you know, at first I thought like, oh, is this going to be the stereotypical creepy doll? But I don't think it ever goes to the creepy doll point. It's almost like that's the only thing that was ultimately actually protecting her. Mm-hmm. And once the color is drained out of it, she even gets rid of it. Cause like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like, I don't know if it works a hundred percent, but I think like there is a thought process I think behind it where, cause if you notice like, cause even in some parts when it's like, you know, she puts it up against her ear and you hear whispering, mm-hmm. but you're like, is it her doing the whispering or is it something is, 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 and is that, was that actually protecting her the whole time? And once she gets rid of it, is when she actually ultimately dies. She gets murdered. You know, point. she gets killed. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So I think it actually is a good element of, like, you know, this, this woman, this young woman who, you know, whatever, you know, we don't, we're not explained to why she was a mute and whatever. We, we, we And that's fine. I'm glad. We, we know, oh, she, you know, she was born this way, whatever. And she uses that as her, you know, coping mechanism. And, I, you know, that I didn't mind. And again, I was hoping it wasn't it wasn't gonna go the path of, oh the doll's gonna turn around. You know what I mean? Like it's gonna yeah. wink wink at her with with its like doll you know doll face. But I I think it works. I think it's like kind of like to show like her, you know, again it also shows her um her childlike um aura. And then when she does get rid of it is when she tries to have sex with Pietro, which is a weird thing and w- but with a knife also and wants to stab yeah, him that didn't that didn't make much no, sense but no but i think it works i think it's like a good little element like a little different type of thing to throw in there and like you said 
it looked like it was going to be like, oh, creepy doll. But it didn't go that path, and I'm glad. They could have easily did that. But yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and I guess it, it stands as a symbol of her her loss of of, of childlike innocence, of protection. Right. Because I'm, I'm recalling the scene, like, she, there's a scene when she's on the stairs, like, stabbing it. And, that, oh, and yeah. oh, no, and she's outside, and she's stabbing it, too. Mm-hmm. And, like, with and, the priest. And the priest looks at her like, what the hell is going on here? Right. And at first, I was sort of like, okay, this is just supposed to be in edgy imagery. But I think if you instead look at it as her being upset at Rosina for like, you're not protecting me anymore. Like it's her lashing out as like, you were supposed to help me and you are useless. It kind of adds a different element yeah. to her character. Um, yeah. She does ask her to protect her, especially when uh, Lucia is like, like at the dinner table, just like giving her the dead eye and just making that weird, like guttural sound mm-hmm. that won't stop. Mm-hmm. And just doesn't stop. And it's like, oh, God. Like, you know, even to the point it was like, it's not, I mean, it's protecting her, but in a, in a sense that it can only do so much, you know, like, and once she gets rid of that, it's like, now she's like fully, I guess you could say she's fully um, grown up. And that's actually terrible for her case because the moment later she's uh, murdered by her own sister, you know? <laughs> um, and that, leads me to a question of who's what what the relationship is with everyone i mean so yeah. I, I understand pietro is married to lucia yeah Luce is lucia's sister yeah um giovanni is grand is the grandfather to anna but right right where, where luigi came into play with the way that anna was talking about him i assume that anna and luigi were married and so she was waiting for him to come back from the war but when he comes back he seems devastated that Aliche is dead. Right. Thank you. Okay. So I had the same confusion where I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. He, I mean, of course it makes sense. He goes home to his brother to, to find him. But like, yeah, he's very devastated by that. And like, like, I don't know if they were like her, him and um, um, Anna were like to be married or were married. You know what I mean? It's one of the, one of the two, either one, mm-hmm. but it seemed like he didn't care until he, he himself also gets murdered and becomes a zombie and then goes to see his bride to be, you know what I mean? Like very, right. very confusing. Very, you're yeah. right. And yeah. and maybe it's just because like, he's devastated over the, the loss of his, of his sister-in-law. But I mean, what, what leads him ultimately to his demise is to go upstairs to Lucia, which is also kind of a cool thing that he goes upstairs and she's like, he's like, no, 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 stay away from her. And then it's like, Oh, she's normal, normal regular, yeah. which once again, they did that in, evil dead where's where there's that momentary right. thing where she's like not possessed and she's normal and she's sitting there smiling um yeah and, and he's like aliche is dead and she's like no aliche is not dead look she's right there and, and right. so like it, it would seem to imply that there is some type of emotional connection between the two of them which causes him to be vulnerable which causes him to be killed except i thought he was i thought anna was waiting for him to yeah i mean really... i mean when you think about it like i mean i I know I agree, but I'm, I, you know, the way I thought of it as, well, I guess, you know, this is such a small rural Italian town where everybody knows, everybody knows everybody. And sure. I, I you know, and I guess like, you know, Pietro and his brother, you know, grew, you know, grew up close. And like, once he got married to Lucia, it's almost like the family. So like the family was very close. Both, both families were very close to each other. So, while that makes sense, it's still it's kind of a little confusing because it's like, wait, mm-hmm. yeah, where's where's Anna and all this? The whole time she's like, 
can you, hey, grandfather, can you ask, can you ask him about, you know, if Luigi's contacted him at all? Because I haven't got any letters either. Mm-hmm. You know, please. But yeah, so it's a little weird. But I guess it's a show that he really cares about um, his brother's wife's side. You know what I mean? I guess the show that he's a good guy, you know, like, yeah. he, you know, he means well. And like, he's especially, again, Alice's, you know, being such a, you know, fearful girl, at, you know, throughout her life and, and a mute. He probably maybe he was very protective of her, you know, mm-hmm. like the younger brother and the younger sister. Oh, I got to be there for my younger sister kind of thing. So, I mean, I'm thinking more than the, I think the script does. I think the script is like, well, <laughs> we, need, we need him to die. So let's get him home. And like, you know, poor dude, though, like, he, you know, surviving whatever war, you know, wherever you, I think he was in Africa during that part of the war. He gets mm-hmm. home and then gets murdered by a demonic, you know, uh, sister-in-law. Not yeah. Fun. And. It was funny that there was one line which confused me for a little mm. bit too, yeah. uh, because Giovanni shows up to Pietro and he says, uh, "We're fighting in Africa against the English." Right. And I was like, "Wait, so are they fascists?" Because he's referring to the fascists fighting against the English as like we. Until I I sat and thought about it, I'm like, "Well, if we're here in America and we're in a war that we disagree with, yeah, and we're talking about American troops, we will still say like we because they're. I, I mean, I guess he could have yeah. said." um Mussolini's people but like but still you know you don't you don't necessarily say the Italians when you are the Italian so like I I right I thought my way through them like okay no no it, it sort of it sort of makes sense it makes sense because like you know the Germans like not the Nazis but the Germans during the war had to say like well the army's you know going <clears> to <throat> France right now yeah especially with the whole fear of like you say something wrong oh sure you'll yeah. be murdered you know what I mean especially now we see when Teresa gets killed, there are Nazis around. Like we, we never see them actually, except for that one nightmare sequence. You yeah. never see any Nazis just like wandering the town, mm-hmm. which I thought is kind of funny. You know, it's like it's off, off screen, off screen Nazis. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I said, I think after about the midway point when Lucia gets locked in the attic is when things start to kind of stagnate because until then things are building to a certain point. And then after that, it's just kind of more of the same thing of like um, the nightmares, which turn out to be true and um, people showing up and getting killed by Lucia. Like it it sort of stops, it sort of stops building. We just kind of stagnate and does kind of rely a little bit too much on evil dead tropes, which I think actually kind of disagree with the rules that it set up for itself like i mean the fact that at the end it's like oh and this whatever this force also has the ability to resurrect people and make them evil as well yeah like all of a sudden they're all like zombified or yeah like it's a priest the priest with the the thing in his eyes like outside the window uh you know yeah like uh luigi is a zombie aliche comes back too like it's just so yeah it it possesses people but also like so once again it, it they're the rules of what this thing are like I, i'm not saying it needs to be explicit it can be nebulous oh, yeah. it just it, it seems to be too much like oh it can do everything um yeah and, and it becomes very cookie cutter satanic you know demonic possession yeah. type of movie and and it's a shame because it was going one way and then it kind of just went let's do the easier thing of yeah. horror tropes and and again seen way too many demonic possession stuff that i'm like okay 
that makes sense in that kind of film, but this is not the type of film I was I thought I was signing up for. Yeah, I, I mean, know? I guess there is the, the backdrop of this kind of area, and especially Italy would have been so heavily Catholic, but still, once yes. again, that that is sort of. I don't know. I, I would have liked it. I would have liked that for them to have pursued that fascism angle and how that is um, the backdrop of this destabilizing evil. But yeah. um, the one one final question I had for you is mm-hmm. uh, Alice continuously keeps going back to the body of Teresa. Oh, yeah. OK, thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was weird to me just because as far yeah. as I knew, Teresa and Alice didn't really have a relationship and I wasn't sure why we were still going back to her ultimately like continuously rotting corpse for Alice to speak to her. I don't know. It, it, that, right. Like every time it would happen, I'm like, Oh, right. Um, I never think to myself in any film. Oh, I hope to see that corpse again, <laughs> but know that it's still there rotting away. Mm-hmm. Like the animals have not gotten into this because also, I guess because all the animals are dying out. Also, so there's nothing left around this this area of um, of you know Italy where nothing could eat this body that's rotting away. Yeah, it's very weird. Like, it, I don't know if that was to show like her innocence has totally been destroyed because she's just talking to her. Hey, Teresa, you're dead. Like, okay, no shit. Like, we we know that as an audience. Like, I don't need to. I, I didn't need to be reminded of like her bloated body. Yeah, very right? very odd. Very odd. Like the, the 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 flies and like I'm like, okay, cool. She's still there. Why wouldn't she still be there? And only only Alice knows that too. Like nobody else knows Teresa is is yeah. dead there. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, that, it's so sad actually. It's actually really sad. Like the only person showing like is Alice just going, Hey Teresa, how you been? good okay <laughs> see you later yeah there there are some weird loose threads in this movie that ultimately kind of i, I can't even say make it bad but just sort of distract and like what what were you doing here? yeah like was that the editing process or was it like just half hard you know half thought half cooked up ideas that they didn't even know like where can we go with this uh eh, let's just leave it and and that's a lot of low budget horror you know like some ideas you go, oh, that's a good idea, and then they don't go, they don't flush it out. It just kind of ends. You're like, wait, or like a character that you're like, wait, what was their what was their motivation to do that? Oh, okay, yeah. that's just, just no, I, forgotten now. You know? No, I I mean I, I in in undergrad I made a, a a short film that was based entirely around a soundbite from the movie Session Nine. So I get the idea of some things just seem kind of cool, and then it's like mm, this didn't really make oh. any sense. Well, session well Session Nine's awesome, so yeah. Right. It was okay. it was called the, the short was called Hello Gordon. Oh hello Gordon. Um, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good that's a good movie. Anyway, um I, I don't I don't know. I, I think that's a that's a pretty good point to, to wrap it up. Yeah, the, I, I have yeah. very low expectations for it and it turned out to be like yeah, this this you know, not bad. Not bad, Ivan Zukon. Yeah, it's a good like like again, it's a like a good like Sunday watch of like, oh, this is a horror film that's on like, you know, a free service. Let me throw it on. Okay, I don't. I don't regret watching it. You know, it's one of yep. those films. You're like, okay, that was pretty. And you know, we we talked for about 40, 40 minutes of this, talking about this. So it's better than some of the films we've covered so by far. Well, and, and funnily enough, you mentioned um, recording this episode on Easter Sunday. Yeah. Um, 
one of the recommendations for me when I logged on to Tubi was The Passion of the Christ. Oh, there you go. Have a, have a great Easter, guys. Just just to emphasize, you can go on Tubi and watch low-budget foreign horror. You can watch Angus. You can watch The Passion of the Christ. It's just that it, there's no rhyme or reason, and God bless you, you odd little streaming service, you. Owned, owned by Fox, right? I think Fox owns it. I, I have no idea. I will um, I will also link to it in the um, show notes, but I sent James a tweet um, over the weekend that was from The Onion, uh, which is relevant. This is, the headline is, 2B CEO combs through goodwill used DVDs looking for movies to upload. That's perfect. <laughs> it makes perfect sense, you know? It's genuinely how this streaming service feels, and I love it. But yeah. um, anyway, that has been um, our discussion on uh, Color from the Dark. We have been the cast of Cthulhu. Uh, you can email us at moviesofmadness at gmail.com. James is Wonka Kills Kids. I am Nolan Fixes Teeth. And we are Cast Cthulhu on Twitter. Catch up on all of our back episodes at castofcthulhu.podbean.com or go on to battleshipretention.com and find us there if you want to um, comment on anything. So um, next week, not next week, next time, yeah. of course, we are continuing our um, foray into foreign Lovecraft horror. Um, transitioning from Italy into Spain, speaking of um, European countries that have a history of uh, fascist dictatorships, yep. Yep. Um, with uh, Juan P. Care Simone's um, Cthulhu Mansion, yep. Um, yep. a filmmaker that James is familiar with, and I am not. So um, now now that I have this as a bar, what should uh, I raise it? Should I lower it for, for Juan P. Care Simone? I, I'd say, see, for me, I would raise it, but for you... Lower it, okay. <laughs> lower it, not not all the way down, but lower it enough that, you know, like again, it's it's if if you ever seen the movie Pieces, that's like the ultimate Simone film of like batshit insane. This one, not as batshit insane, but there's some some cool stuff. But is it Lovecraftian? Uh, I won't say. I won't say it's well. You see it. um, and there is some synergy with. Um past uh episodes because yeah um the cthulhu mansion stars frank finlay who is also in yes. life force yes um as the character of falada yeah uh, he's a magician in it he's he's really good in the film that's all i'm gonna say you know okay all right well <laughs> cool so that'll be it so tune in uh next time where we'll be covering cthulhu mansion in the meantime we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead cthulhu in his house in Ralea.